there's the whole group of people that have completely forgotten what it feels like to lose money, either because they never have before or it's such a long time ago and the market's been moving up pretty consistently for quite some time now that people have kind of forgotten what it feels like to lose money. And, and this week was a great reminder. Yeah, this week was an absolute great reminder. And that's really who I've been speaking to today in terms of my mindset is the investor that forgot. Yeah. Welcome to Financial Sobriety, the podcast. Podcast? This conversation is all about money. Money, not in the context of so many of the other podcasts that are out there. So we're not going to talk about Roth IRAs and, and whether annuities are good or bad and how I can buy the next Tesla stock? I'm afraid not. What are we going to talk about then? We're going to talk about the three most complicated relationships people have in their life. Ooh, tell me more. The relationship people have with their money, how that affects the relationship they have with their people, and ultimately about the person looking back at them in the mirror and the relationship with themselves. So you're saying these are all tied together, these three relationships? Well, if you stick around, we'll tell you more. Uh, holy cow, it's Wednesday morning, and we're back two days in a row with Financial Sobriety episodes, the second half of our conversation from yesterday. And you know, you didn't ask me yesterday what I was grateful for. I thought it was the French food. I was, but and you didn't Hamilton. ask me. You didn't ask me. I, I told about, you what I did. How about I ask you today? Oh, okay. There you go. What are you grateful for? <laughs> well, thank you for asking. I'm incredibly grateful to have two days in a row of podcast production happening in our world of financial sobriety. We've done that now twice, and I'm grateful for that. Does I'm that also, make it a habit? No, you got to do three times in a row to make it a habit. Oh, okay. And you got to do it over 66 days. Okay. Yeah, something like that. At least that's what we've been told. I am super grateful for my wife, Amy. It was her birthday on Monday. We've had an amazing couple of days celebrating her birthday, primarily just spending time together, which has been wonderful. We have had a couple of glorious meals, as we talked about with the French food. Yesterday. We got to see Hamilton. Last, last night. Last night. It was spectacular. Uh, I'm in a big gratitude space today. So thank you for asking. That is awesome. Yes. So we've got part two of the conversation coming up. Uh, man, are we diving deep. What's going on in the world today, the conversations we're having with people, the effects of the past and how that might be affecting how people view what's going on in the world today. All awesome stuff coming up today on the next episode of Financial Sobriety. It, I mean, we we saw the writing on the wall. We saw how banks were levered. We saw Bear Stearns go in March because of this. I mean, all the warning shots were there. That's why our research in January of 08 said, go to cash, because this stuff was starting to systemically crack. One problem. In the economy. We weren't using the research at that time. Absolutely. <laughs> full, full disclosure. <laughs> otherwise, we, otherwise, we might be on an island in the Caribbean right now. It's part of what, right. It, I mean, it's why we use the research we use now. Yes. Because we can go back and look and go, wow, that must have been both celebration and frustration to go to cash in January of 08. Because the market was still trickling up a little bit, even with the Bear Stearns and stuff. But yet there were signs in the economy that were saying there are systemic cracks going on here that are going to seriously impact profitability opportunities in the stock market. 
and we just weren't listening. Something like COVID was a complete out of left field. Yeah, that's a bomb. What the industry term is called black swan event. Sure. I don't know why they call it a black swan. Because it's rare. Ah, thank you. Yes. It's rare. It just came out of nowhere. We didn't see it happen. But yet, what has our government, the people in power, proven to us now as these types of events happen that they're willing to do to prevent the economic carnage that happened in 2008. Yeah, and, and that, that was our pregame conversation today with ACE was some concern over, you know, aren't we teetering on the edge of something? It's the question I get more and more often with clients on, well, you know, are, aren't you guys worried about this market? And it's, it's an analogy that we've used a lot with clients. I don't know if we've talked about it here or not, but it's pouring absolute jet fuel onto the campfire. What is? The stimulus. Yeah, the money. The printing right? of the money, the, the buying government, of the bonds. The government has said, and I'm using the word government intentionally because it is apolitical. Right. Right? Regardless of political affiliation, the government has said we are going to backstop this thing till kingdom come. No matter what. We have a printing press in the basement. We will yeah. print as much money hey, Bob, as we need. Yeah. No, get more. Yeah. I need another $2 trillion in 20s. Yeah, we need 20s and make them smaller this time. Maybe some 10s, too. There right? you go. So it's just, it's it's a, it's running amok. That's a fun word to say. It is. It is. Now, there is a problem coming, right? Well, especially because this is a governmental thing and not a political party thing. I mean, you had George W. Bush work with Congress to pass the Troubled Asset Relief Plan, right? TARP. You remember that? I do. That tiny little, what was it, 700? Something billion. Was it billion? Or yes. Mil- yeah, no, billion. it was billion. It was 700 okay. billion. And 700 we all, billion. And we were all were completely aghast when that came out. We were like, oh. <gasps> right. We lost sleep over we're that, gonna, hair over that. We're that gonna, was huge. And we gave AIG $40 billion? Right. Just so they don't default on life insurance policies. Yeah, that would be the that would be the crumbs on your French dinner the other night that they come around with that little thing and they go zoo, 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 and they sweep it away. Right. right. That's what that forty billion dollars would be like today. It didn't feel like it then, but as George W. Bush did that as president, and then Barack Obama was elected president shortly thereafter, he went through the drive-through and supersized it. He made it tarper. Right. <laughs> he did. He made tarp tarper. Absolutely. And and we saw the same thing here with COVID. I mean, President Trump came out and immediately was working with Congress to get financial relief. He had his couple of billion dollars go on the campfire. And sure. Then, almost almost hangover, boy. Oh, sorry. Did I say billion? Trillion. Yeah, I forgot. My B got tripped trillion. up with the T. Yeah. A couple of trillion dollars to backstop this thing. And here we now have a total switcherooski from the right to the left in the White House, and uh, same stuff is happening. Yeah, they've got more pens and more paper and more checkbooks. But tarperer. Oh, we're knocking on $10 trillion. Whew. That's almost Warren Buffett money. So that's got to be paid for someday. Yeah. Somehow. Yeah. But That's 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 another show. That's another show, and that's in the future. The month of September has been... Not the best month for the stock market. And that's why we're talking about this right now, because we're we're having conversations. You know, is there something we need to be worried about? I mean, the market has been a little sketchy these last couple of weeks. I mean, just earlier this week, it had a big down day. It's It's kind of now rebounded most of what it's lost. But for the most part, the last three weeks, the market has been behaving like something's going on. Yeah. And, and the trigger this week was a Chinese developer that has a lot of debt and has some concern that debt is unmanageable in an 08 kind of way. 
and that contagion spread into the U.S. markets for a couple of days, and now the market's popping right back up again. So it's not well, as is if that real. I mean, is that so? So let I mean, let's let's get to the middle of this. Is there something like 2008 brewing that we can kind of see and smell? You know, systemic cracks in the foundation of our economy in a 2008 yeah. context of mortgages and things like that. Yeah, leverage debt. Bank, bank's balance sheets, are they healthy? Are people's balance sheets healthy? Are they not healthy? I mean, what- So is... the U.S. consumer is still pretty heavily debt-laden, but it's at much lower interest rates than they were 10, 12 years ago. So the servicing of debt burden is much lower. It's lower. It's easier. Banks generally are healthier today than they were. If you've recently tried to get a mortgage or refinance or a home equity loan or these kinds of things, it's not easy, right? I had a lovely, we talk about your boomerang effect, right? Where people from your past come boomeranging back into your life out of nowhere. Yeah. I had one of those yesterday. Nice. I was so flipping busy, I didn't even have a chance to send you the little boomerang emoji. <laughs> nice. So the the sweet, the sweet guy that used to be the, the janitor for our first office back in the 08, days when we first set up shop he rang my front doorbell of he your, was doing he of was your house yeah he was doing a job down the street he's an unbelievable handyman and has since long gone on and he's an entrepreneur and has a variety of different businesses and it was really fun to reconnect with him uh, but he rang the front doorbell because he wants to move his accounts kind of back to us we set him up originally and then we moved on he moved on and uh, he remembered where we lived, rang the doorbell, scared the bejesus out of Beth. <laughs> they had a lovely chat, and then he came to the office. She gave him the home, ad the office address. I was on a Zoom. Anyway, why do I bring him up? Because back in the mess of all 08, he was the textbook. He had a, a ninja loan. Mm. He and his wife were making like $100,000 a year combined, and they bought a $750,000 house in one of the neighborhoods that went from like seven fifty to three hundred thousand when this thing all blew up. Oh boy. And so it was just as we were kind of preparing for the show, it was so funny to have him boomerang back into my life yeah. as a stark reminder of those days of, yeah. of that market. Yeah. There are two kinds of people that I've been having conversations with this week. Those that were investors in two thousand eight and have the painful memories, and those that were not. Those who were not investors in 2008, or they were not heavily invested yet or just getting started and don't remember the full effect of what 2008 did to them financially. And to see the difference, it seems like the people who were damaged in 2008, at least the couple that I've, I've spoken to, there's a little bit more of a healthy respect for risk and for fear. There, there, there's more fear in the conversation. They're always worried about that happening again. 100%. Every, so am I. Every little burp and hit, but with every little burp and hiccup oh, in the market, sure, is this fear that that could well, that's, be happening again. That is, I have come to learn, is a bit of PTSD. Absolutely, that's PTSD. Yes. I just recently myself learned that there are all different levels of post traumatic stress disorder. PTSD is for real, and it's something that affects more people than. We think it's not just something reserved for military, police, fire, first responders who are dealing with life and death situations every day. PTSD can affect anybody who's experienced any trauma in their life 
and still suffer from the lingering effects of that trauma where they haven't fully processed it yet. And there's all sorts of great therapy out there. I mean, we had, you know, Rishi in, in studio for a few episodes, and I think there might even be more of him coming out after this episode where we talked about mental health and some PTSD type of stuff. But absolutely, the the client that I spoke to yesterday about what's happening in the market this week absolutely showed signs of PTSD from 2008 and still suffering that. And so a lot of our conversation yesterday with Stephen Carolyn, who, by the way, when I did call them after getting a text message from them, were enjoying a late 35th anniversary celebration at the Hotel Dell in San Diego. Oh, so wonderful. I am so thrilled for them that despite the little fear and angst they're feeling, they're still using their money in a way that's very intentional to what's important to them, and they're celebrating a beautiful marriage in, in one of the most beautiful places in the world sure. and not choosing to not celebrate because of what's going on in the market. So I give them kudos for that. But having the conversation about how much differently they're positioned today, what's actually going on in the world today relative to 2008 was an important part of the conversation, which I think we should talk about a little bit today. Then there's the whole group of people that have completely forgotten what it feels like to lose money, either because they never have before or it's such a long time ago and the market's been moving up pretty consistently for quite some time now that people have kind of forgotten what it feels like to lose money. And, and this week was a great reminder. Yeah, this week was an absolute great reminder. And that's really who I've been speaking to today in terms of my mindset is the investor that forgot. Yeah. That has been numb to volatility because really, other than in March of 2020, and the fourth quarter of 2018, we haven't had much volatility. No. We had a little bit in 16. We had some in 11 when Greece was sliding into the Mediterranean. But there hasn't been very – I mean, if you look at a, a chart of the stock market, it's it's a very smooth kind of upward line. So I get it. And, you know, the public service announcement today is to measure your risk, is to be mindful of the risk that you're taking and – we often talk about blind spots, and if this is a blind spot for you, yeah, you know, send us an email. And this is groundbreaking, almost Wolf Blitzer style situation room kind of stuff. Matt and Jim have email addresses now. We do. We do. Well, when the, when did we get those? We got an upgrade. Oh, so are we? I cashed in some points, and we got an email address. So what do we got now, Matthew or Jim? Matthew at yourfinancialsobriety.com. Can you believe it? Jim at yourfinancialsobriety.com. Send us an email. That's awesome. Send us an email if you're concerned about risk. Send us an email if you're wondering, how do I know how much risk I'm taking? Well, it doesn't, because it, it doesn't feel like risk when my money's going up, but it is. It is. If your money's going up, the only way it can go up is by exposing yourself to risk. And if you expose yourself to this amazing upside, this amazing growth opportunity that we've had these last several years, you're also exposed to the downside. And if it's been going up faster, that's an indicator. In, indicator? Indicator, thank you, yeah. John. Yeah. That's an indicator of you're taking risk. Absolutely. And it's also an indicator of how fast it can go down. Yes. I think there are two public service messages, and they are very in the spirit of Matt and Jim, yin and yang, night and day, cold and warm, I think they are two opposing forces that people need to be aware of. First is using this week as a little bit of a reminder 
that what does go up can go down. What does go up will go down. What does go down will go up. There's always an equal and opposite reaction to every action. Thank you, Albert. You're very welcome. The second public service reminder is on the other side of this. Should we be panicking and freaking out about what's going on right now in the market? And my answer to that is unequivocally and absolutely no. This is normal behavior that we just haven't seen in a while. Uh, The only caveat I will add to that is if you have seen a meteoric rise in the value of your accounts, I do think this is a warning. This is a a reminder. A reassess risk reminder. Yes. Okay. Okay. I'm good with that. If you're plodding along in the right lane in the in the backseat of a you know blacked out town car going 68 miles an hour, cool. But if you've seen your portfolio going 130 in the left lane. You may want to trade it in and well, slow down Well, I mean, bit. you might want to take a pit stop and, and come off okay. and just. So that's that. Okay. So then that's perhaps with that in mind, why the conversation I had with Steve and Carolyn yesterday was more about reassuring them that this is normal market behavior is because we have our clients in our private practice position in a way where risk is in alignment, portfolio risk is in alignment with the amount of risk the individual truly is willing to take. Right. So having a conversation with them about the fact that their money is exposed to the right amount of risk, they have been enjoying some upside, not Tesla size upside, right. but some upside, the number two on the McDonald's menu, right? Two cheeseburgers, a fry, and a small drink. Not a supersized version, right? It just nice yeah. little upside. At the same time, their exposure to the downside, hopefully, right, we can't make any promises, but based on the amount of risk they're exposed to, their downside should be minimal. So I guess that was what facilitated the conversation about should we be panicking right now? Should we be going to cash right now? No, none of our indicators are telling us that. Right. But at the same time, if you are going 1,000 miles an hour, it's a good time to reassess risk, become aware of the risk you're taking, and potentially reallocate to some more conservative assets. The, the one other category of investors I was thinking of before we wrap up today is the one that feels behind. Tell me more. I had a conversation with a new client yesterday who, through a series of life circumstances, is is 51, and she feels incredibly behind. Behind in? Saving oh, on, oh, a, gotcha. on a guide path for retirement. Sorry, my hangover was uh, keeping me from seeing yeah. where you were going. And you don't, I mean, you don't have to, it's not really an age, well, it is an age thing in the sense of the, the older you are, the more that kind of panic can sit in around feeling behind. Unprepared. Unprepared, needing to save more. And often what can happen with some investors that I've met over my career is they start swinging for the fences more. They try to play catch up because they know they can't necessarily save their way to retirement. So they want to try to make up for it with big swings over the center field fence. Yeah. And hit home runs and, you know, two and three and four run home runs and go study Babe Ruth. That's all I'm going to say. Go study Babe Ruth and his ratio of strikeouts to home runs, and there's my answer. Yeah. You have to be mindful of the risk that you're taking, and swinging for the fences, when you're running out of time and you're feeling behind, you are quadrupling, quintupling the amount of risk that you're taking. Well, that's a wonderful baseball analogy, and I think the business of baseball has done a really good job 
at setting the expectations that they know if we have one or two batters in our lineup that are home run hitters, uh, management accepts the fact that they're going to strike out a lot because they're going for those home runs. But there's the beauty of the baseball team. There are nine players in that batting order. Right. And generally, only one or two at most, it's their job to go in there and swing out of their shoes and try to hit home runs, knowing that they're going to strike out more often than they hit home runs. Because they're on a baseball Because they're on a team. Team. Right, where they have other players in the lineup whose job it is, very simply, to get on first base. So then that's what I need is I need a, re- a retirement team. I need a retirement baseball team Absolutely. so that there's other people. Well, that client, that 51-year-old client, is it wrong for her to not have one or two pieces of her portfolio trying to hit home runs? Amen. Not at all. But the other seven or eight in the lineup better be trying to use all seven different ways they can to get on first base. Love it. I love it when you bring up the seven ways to get on first base because it makes a lot of people scratch their heads. There are seven different ways to get on first base, and I'm going to put something out there that if you send me an email, Matthew at yourfinancialsobriety.com, and you correctly can give me all seven ways. Without looking it up online? Without lo- <laughs> Honor system. Honor system. Come on now. Got to be honor system. You send me a list of all seven ways that a baseball player can get on first base. You're going to send them the number two meal at, at McDonald's? Instead of a number two value meal at McDonald's, I am going to overnight you an autographed copy of my book, Financial Sobriety. Love it. So what a great time I had with you today. That was a blast. I'm really not craving French food. No, but we might do some Nick's Taco today. Ah. Another shameless plug for our good friends at Nick's Taco. Go visit them on Kirby Road in Roseville. And that, my dear friend, that's a wrap. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety. I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.